Well, I am uh, seriously grateful. It's funny because every time Easter comes around, uh, it seems to mean more every single year to me. And even last year as we gathered online and gathered digitally and virtually, uh, there's something powerful about just reminding ourselves about the real hope that we have, and that's Easter. So I'm grateful that if you're here with family or you're here checking things out for the first time, or you're joining us digitally, that you're with us. Uh, because I really do believe if Easter isn't the event, if Easter isn't the thing that centers our faith, even Paul writes about this in the scriptures, uh, we have nothing else to bank our lives on, no other hope, uh, unless Jesus is raised from the dead and restores things that were broken. And uh, I was thinking about this as we're, uh, one of the reasons that I'm so glad for Easter is because Easter was one of the cutoff days for us uh, to finish our kitchen remodel. And so we were like, hey, we cannot still be in drywall dust by Easter. Like, we just can't do it. Lindsay is incredibly patient, but she was like, if you let this go past Easter, we're going to have problems. And so I said, okay, we're going to figure it out. So a couple weeks ago, uh, we embarked on this journey of a kitchen remodel. How many of you have done just any renovations in your home in the last year in general, okay? Like Home Depot sales during coronavirus just went up and to the right, okay? And they're mainly because of me. Like I'm the majority of their sales right now. So anyway, I was thinking about this and we looked back at some pictures. So here's a picture of what our kitchen started like. So this is kind of the beginning. And so we bought a beautiful 1960s ranch that has all the quirks of a 1960s ranch in it. And so this was even after we'd already taken down part of the wall. So then fast forward, this is a couple Saturdays ago, we totally gutted it, so totally cleared it out, which it looks like a different room. It almost looks better. I don't know how, but it looks better almost. Like I'd rather have that than what I had before. Um, and so then we kind of processed through like, okay, so the next couple weeks is, is time to grind. And so my step, uh, Lindsay's stepdad drove in from New York who made all of our cabinets and kind of helped us design the kitchen. And he had a week off. He's like, all right, man, we got to do as much as we possibly can in one week. And so every day after work, I got home and we worked for six, seven hours. We worked a couple nights in the weekend, like into the next morning. We were pushing hard because they had to leave the following Sunday. This is like two Sundays ago. And so finally we make it and now we get to enjoy the finished product. So check out just kind of the, the end game here. I'm totally kidding. That's someone else's kitchen. That's not my kitchen. <laughs> That's a straight up McGee & Co. Netflix special. Um, like I'm pretty sure the house is in San Diego and they have an ocean view. That is not Wyoming, Michigan, just in case you're wondering. Um, our kitchen looks really good, but it has some room to, it still has some things to finish up. So you'll maybe see that if you follow us on social, you've probably already seen it. But it's funny because uh, even yesterday we were sitting there and I was like, man, we still need to fix this. We got to fix this. We got to paint this part of the trim. We got to sand this down. Like there's still some projects. And yesterday we just basically sat there like, do you want to knock these out today? And we both were like, nah. So we just sat on the couch and watched TV. Like that's basically what we did. So there's still some projects left, but what was so funny about doing a whole kitchen basically in a week, like from gutting it totally cleared out to um, what it is now, is that over and over again, and you already know this if you've done remodeling, over and over again, we just found things that were broken. Like we found weird things, like how, how did that even work before? Like how was that hooked up that way? There were things that as you get behind into the bones of an old house that has never been touched since it was built, there were some things that were just different than how we do it in 2021, like some things that were clearly not code. And so I remember 
It was the first day, Sunday, uh, we left church and went home and basically started. We grabbed some lunch and then we went for it. Very first day, my uh, Lindsay's stepdad, Ron, was like, hey, uh, just so you know, we're going to have to fully replace all the pipes in the, in the kitchen. It's like, sweet, that should be cheap. <laughs> Perfect. I can't. What else do you want to add? Like, so I made my first of 15 trips that day to Home Depot and picked up what we needed. And then I went back because I picked up the wrong thing. And then went back again because I missed the thing from the first, first trip. And so it was just like a journey in finding things that were broken about my house. That's what renovation ended up being. And so it's, the next day, Monday hits. He's like, all right, so if we're going to move the range, we're going to put the cabinets all the way to the ceiling. That means that we need to move some of the ductwork and the venting in your kitchen. I said, that sounds super easy and inexpensive. Why not? So let's go for it. Well, as you know, you kind of get behind a wall and you're like, how did that even work before? I have no idea. And so we're in there. It's never a good thing when you're in your attic with a sawzall. That's a bad scene. So we're in there like chugging away and trying to create room for this new ductwork for the new range we wanted to put in. It was a journey. There was a lot, a lot of things that were broken that we had to adjust and to fix. And I was just sitting there, and because I'm a preacher, I think about life in these terms. I was just sitting there thinking about, wow, that, that reminds me of kind of my story, like my own life of just, okay, this is broken, this is getting fixed, or okay, this is fixed, and now this other thing is broken. And I think actually, when it comes to your life, you're probably a lot like me in that. That there's seasons where you look back and you're like, I'm so glad I'm healed from this, or this is repaired, or this is working, and then something else breaks, or something else goes wrong, or some other relationship starts to get strained and, and really tense. Uh, I think about even just our last year in our world. I mean, a year ago, we were in a very different place, but you think about it, it's like, okay, vaccine, new variant from a country you've never heard of. You need to be watching out for that one. And now uh, some of you are processing through, like, our marriage got better last year. I've had the conversation with some of you, like, the time together was not actually a bad thing. You actually needed that one-on-one -on -one time together. And so then the marriage gets better, and now your daughter's failing her class in school. And you're like, what? Like, I, I worked on that relationship, and this one is breaking. Some of you have set some financial goals over the last year. And you maybe finally saved enough for the new car. You finally saved enough to upgrade the car, and then your furnace dies. And then you're like, well, I guess I'm going to choose heating for my family over my new car. <laughs> so, and that's the right choice, by the way. But if you think about it, like the question, what do we do when things are broken, is an incredibly important question. In fact, the question, what do you do when things are broken, is actually really one of the biggest questions that defines our faith, our spiritual journey, our own lives. What do you do? How do you respond when things are broken? Because spiritually, just, I mean, some of those things I listed are kind of funny, but spiritually, I've got people in my life, you maybe have people in your life who you look up to them and they're strong and they're put together and then the cancer comes back. And they're not as strong as you thought they were. And they're a little bit weaker than you would prefer to see them. You had freedom or healing from the addiction or the thing that was chaining you down and keeping you free from the life you want, from being the spouse you want to be, from being the parent you want to be, from being the boss you may want to be. And then that crisis hits or COVID hits and you find yourself in the self-checkout at Meyer with another six-pack. What do you do, friends, when things are broken? 
Really, if you think about it, how you answer that question really does change everything. It's a question worth exploring on Easter. And I just want to give you a fair heads up. I do not want to manipulate or bait and switch you. At the end of this time, at the end of our time together, I'm going to ask you to make a decision about this question. I'm going to ask you to make a very specific decision about how you're going to move forward on this. But I want to take you to John 20. It's actually one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible because it's one of the most unique passages documenting Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And in John 20, verse 11, here's what we read in the Gospels. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, which is normal. I mean, if you go to a funeral, that's a normal part of it. As she's sitting there, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. You and I know what Mary was looking for. She was looking for the body of Jesus. She was looking to see and to mourn his body. But instead, she sees two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? If you can slap angels, this is the right moment to do it. <laughs> like, what do you mean, why am I crying? I came here to, to mourn my rabbi. I came here to find the person who had just kind of reshaped my thinking and set me free, set me on a different trajectory. That's who I came to find. They asked, woman, why are you crying? She says, well, they've taken my Lord away. She said, I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, which if you just pause there, that's a great Easter story. That's awesome. Like happy Easter 2021, Jesus is alive and everything is perfect and goes home. But that's not what the scripture says happens. What scripture says happens is she didn't realize it was Jesus. She turns around in this incredible moment and doesn't realize who's in front of her. And Jesus asks her this question. He says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? But thinking he was the gardener, flag that for later. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Like if you've removed his body or uh, Joseph gave you instructions to move him out of this tomb and into this tomb, just let me know. Like a gardener was a very basic income job. It was very low on the, on the scale of economy in first century Israel. There's no way that Jesus would have shown up as a gardener to this person. Like if Jesus was going to come back, if I'm writing the gospel story, which you're glad I'm not, if I was writing the gospel story, Jesus would show up in the temple surrounded by Pharisees and it would be the biggest like gotcha moment ever. It's like, you thought I was dead, but I'm not. Like, psych, like I got you. And he's there and, and all of his enemies are weeping. They're like, oh no, what have we done? But that's not what happens. Actually, Jesus shows up as a gardener. He shows up to Mary and she still doesn't get it. She says, if you carried him away. And then Jesus says to her, Mary, Mary. He calls her by name. It's not a generic term. Even though Mary was a very common name, there was something different about how Jesus addressed this woman in the garden. He says, Mary. She immediately turns toward him. She, she gets it. It clicks for her. She, she turns toward him and cries out in Aramaic, this native Hebrew language. She says, Rabboni, which means teacher. And that, to me, is one of the most unique encounters in all the Gospels. It's, it's Jesus stepping into the humanity of all of us. And, and really, it's easy. Like, if you were Mary and I was in that situation just like she was, it's easy to kind of miss the garden and, and maybe even not really focus on the gardener himself when you're looking for a grave. 
You're looking for dead people. You're not looking for things that are alive or things that are certainly not things that are being resurrected. That's not what you'd be looking for. But it's funny because Mary personally had experienced a resurrection power in her own life. If you know the Gospels at all, you can remember that Mary actually, the Gospel writers, this biographical accounts of Jesus of Nazareth, they write about Mary having seven demons afflicting her when Jesus meets her. Seven mental spirits, these disorders and illnesses that were at work in her and, and causing chaos in her mind. And Jesus frees her. He actually heals her. He exercises these demons. He clears her head. He gives her a, a new and free mind. Jesus had restored her. And so this recovering mental patient shows up to the garden looking for a dead body and instead finds a gardener who ends up being her very rabbi. Can God, if you were watching Mary get healed those many years ago and free from those demons, if I was a Jewish person sitting there and I knew Mary, I'd, I'd seen her interact with people in the market. I'd seen some of the questions she had asked. I'd seen some of her wild and kind of off the wall behaviors. I would probably be asking, can God restore that? Are you sure? Like, like are you positive, Jesus, that you can you can fix this. You can restore this. You can make this new. And Jesus' resounding answer in the moment is, of course. But, but you and I have faced circumstances like that too. Maybe not just like Mary, but maybe you've been betrayed by a local pastor or a spiritual leader. And, and you're asking, can God restore that? Can God make that new? Maybe you've been called fat or ugly or stupid by a parent who is supposed to love you and care about you. Can God restore that? Maybe you've been sexually abused by a family friend, someone who's supposed to love and, and protect and defend you. Can God restore even that? Some of you have experienced job loss. I mean, I've sat across the table with some of you in the last year, and you were fired or let go at your worst moment, at your lowest moment. And it, didn't, it wasn't just a job firing. It was like your purpose got fired too. Can God restore even that? This is the beauty of Easter. Jesus' resounding answer as he walks in the garden again with Mary is yes. Yes. The resurrection, friends, makes restoration possible. The things that you thought were broken and beyond repair, the resurrection says, no, they're not. The people in your life who you've written off, parents, coworkers, former best friends, exes, you say, there's no way God can redeem that and restore that person. The resurrection says, watch me. The people who have maybe even hurt you and there's bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment in your heart towards them, can God free you and free them from that? The resurrection says, absolutely. Yes, it can, friends. The resurrection makes restoration possible. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, who's a theologian, not only has an incredible name, but is also really, really smart, uh, writes this about this interaction with Mary, and, and it, it's, it stopped me in my tracks. He says, On the third day, the friends of Christ, coming at daybreak to the place, found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder. The world had died in the night. When they were look, what they were looking at, was the first day of a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth. And in the semblance of a gardener, God walked again in the garden, not in the cool of the evening, 
but in the dawn. A gardener, a garden. Well, I mean, why does Jesus show up in a garden of all places? I mean, you already heard my, my, prefer, my preferred version of how the Gospels would go. Maybe that's, you have a different version. But if you think about it, uh, really the story of Scripture, the story of all of us began, as Scripture tells, in a garden. God created heavens and earth and then created this garden, this lush place of promise and flourishing and He creates these human beings, and and his desire is not just to kind of set them loose and set them free. His desire is to walk in relationship with them, to actually implant his image into their soul, to his footprint on their their person. And so he walks with them, and in this garden he walks with them. And then, then fall happens, then sin breaks relationship. And it wasn't lost forever, but it certainly felt like it was lost forever. And Jesus steps in, God sends him and puts skin and bones on, becomes one of us. And it's actually in the garden that leads him to this crucifixion moment. Jesus surrenders his will in a garden called Gethsemane. He goes to the cross, is is buried in a garden. Joseph's tomb was located in one of the nicest gardens in all of Jerusalem. And then he's raised to life again in a garden. He walks with Mary again. In the garden. Do you see the story of Scripture coming to full circle here? Adam and Eve, who, who lost relationship but had walked with Jesus, had walked with God in the garden. Again, the first thing that happens as soon as the resurrection takes place, this miracle event, this supernatural event, is God walks with his children in the garden again. He restores and Mary, this perfect example of what God can do with a surrendered life, is the first one to get to walk with him. And uh, for me, it was interesting because I'm in my master's courses right now. I'm going through grad school, and that was a terrible decision probably. But I am doing it, and it's happening, and I'm not quitting. Uh, But it's a lot more work than I anticipated. So I'm in these courses, and I was reminded of, of the journey it took to make it even through college for me. I was like it's ironic I'm preaching this in a school because I was a terrible student. I was distracted. I was much more interested in the top two classes in my day, which were gym and lunch. I was much more excited about those. And so I just didn't want to study. I didn't want to do any of that stuff. Made it barely through high school. So I get to college and my parents basically sit me down because they love me and they're like, all right, this has got to be different. Like you gotta, you gotta change something. Your current study habits and current attitude towards school, they're just not working out. And so I said, all right. And so I found a girl who was really, really smart, and I dated her. That was my plan. And it worked, pretty much. So I I met Lindsay, but one of the things I had to do for real when I wasn't in class with her is I had to sit really close to the front because I would get so distracted and want to talk to people or scroll my phone. And so I started sitting in the front of the class. And one of the very first classes I did this was New Testament theology, which for some of you would put you to sleep and others of you would make you wake up. Like, it just depends on where you're at. For me, it was somewhere in the middle. Like, it was an early class, so it was like I woke up five minutes before and busted my tail down the hill to get to that class. And so I'm sitting there in the front row one of the very first days, and the professor who reads the Bible in Greek and Hebrew, like, he's smarter than even I have a category four. Like, the Gorbats may be smart and street smarts, but we are not reading Greek and Hebrew Bibles. That's just not happening. But he is incredibly brilliant, but he really came to Christ later in life and had this transformative journey. He was sitting there, 
And he began telling the story of how he met his wife. And uh, he, he started that story just telling about how he grew up and all these things. And basically said, as he kind of graduated college, that he was incredibly far from God in just every sense. I mean, substance abuse, uh, just multiple affairs and partners and sexual people, like interactions all over the place. It was, he was incredibly, what he would describe, a very broken person, far from God, not even aware that God wanted him or loved him or was pursuing him. And he met this girl who was a Christian, who had grown up in church, who was really committed to following Jesus with her entire life. And they struck up a friendship, which led into a romantic relationship. And, and they eventually got engaged and were on their way to get married. And he remembers having this moment. This was before he was a biblical scholar, before he'd written any books. He remembers having this moment where he was reading 2 Corinthians 5, which you and I know probably really well. If you grew up around church or just drive around Grand Rapids. You've seen this verse, right? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, new has come. He was reading that and didn't really know much about the Bible, didn't have a relationship with Jesus yet. And he's sitting there and, and he heard, not audibly, but just sensed kind of internally God say and ask him the question, Dave, do you believe I can do that in your life sexually? Like, do you believe I can fully restore you? That I can make you a new creation, that as you enter this marriage with this woman who has really saved herself for you and hasn't really gone down the same path you have, that, that that's a gift to you. And Do you believe that God can do that? Do you believe that level of restoration is possible in your life, Dave? And it just changed everything. I'm sitting there as a like sophomore in college. My mouth is like on the floor, and I'm just like, I, my little spiritual box for who God is and what he, how he operates with me just got blown open. And I was like, what? Do, do I believe that level of restoration is possible in my life too, in your life too? Do I believe that God can redeem and restore things that I thought were beyond repair and broken? Do I believe marriages restored, prodigal children restored, physical bodies restored, passion for life Restored friendships, restored John Gorvette, restored. Do I believe that level of restoration is possible? Because, friends, the resurrection makes restoration like that possible. It, it changes everything. And I, it's interesting because as we sit here, kind of a couple years removed even from that situation, and I've, Lindsay now, and I, and I now have been here for around four years being able to lead and serve with you at center. I think about the last couple of years, I think about even this week as I was prepping for this, that I think in some ways that is the work God wants to do through the church as well, is restore people, is to remind people of their God-given identity and dignity and value. Friends, you're not going to hear that on the news. You don't hear that in coffee shops right now. You're not hearing that on Facebook. You're not hearing that in the places. And I believe the people of God are uniquely equipped. And Easter makes it even possible to say, no, 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 there's a better way. That if you are living and breathing, you can be restored. If you have a like life left in you, God can transform and turn your life around. I really feel as we move towards this new building in the next little bit, that that is one of the key just elements of what God wants to do in our community is. 
of inviting people who are broken, inviting relationships that are fractured, inviting people who feel like, I don't really fit anywhere else, and saying, you're welcome at center. You can be restored. We have faith and hope that you can be changed. See, the resurrection makes all of that possible. And that would be a great story to end on. We could just end right there. Mary found Jesus. He's risen from the dead. Let's go to lunch. Like, let's move on past this story. But there's one line that we didn't read that really, really bothers me about this story. If I can say that, there's something about Easter that kind of annoys me. Verse 17 annoys me. And we didn't read it yet. And maybe you, you skip over this verse just like I tend to do. In John 20, 17, Jesus says, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and said to my brothers, Tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Do not hold on to me. Don't smite me down. But it just feels like that's a weird thing for Jesus to say. <laughs> like, don't hold on to me. I mean, she just encountered like the weeping and the mourning of losing someone she loved and then discovers him as a gardener, that he's restoring all things. This would be an incredible moment. But what Jesus says, there's, don't, don't hold on to me. Don't cling to me. Because what Mary was tempted to do and how she addressed Jesus as Rabboni, teacher, prophet, was to be drifted, is to drift back to the, the person Jesus was. To hold on to the old thing. And what Jesus is doing here is saying, no, 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 friends, don't hold on to me. The best is yet to come. The restoring work that I'm starting in this world is just beginning. I'm just getting started in, in restoring people and relationships and marriages and bodies and, and faith and opportunity and image in a way that you just couldn't ever expect. The resurrection makes restoration possible. Don't, don't hold on to me. The best is yet to come. My spirit is going to come. I'm going to empower you and change you and transform you. And this is the message that he gives to the disciples as he ascends into heaven. Don't hold on to me. It's the weirdest way for Easter to end, but it's an incredibly powerful way for us to understand and, and to wrestle with this story. The resurrection makes restoration possible. Every single one of you has a card on the seat next to you, or you're sitting on it and you just didn't know. <laughs> a card. And it just simply says, I'm ready. Because here's what I know, that Easter for all of us is a time. And whether you're watching online, there's, there's some steps there. If you're in this room, you have it on the card. There is, there's a time at Easter for us to pause and to reflect and to ask God, what are you calling out of me? What steps do I need to take? What, what journey do you have me on spiritually? What restoration do you want to do in my life? Because if I'm honest with you, like as a pastor, there's some things that God is still working on me about and for. There's some relationships that are not exactly where I want them to be. There's people in my life who are far from God that I long, I'm praying for to experience this restoring, restoration work for themselves. But here's what I know, with that card next to you, there may be a decision you need to make today about that question. And maybe for you, it's beginning a relationship with Jesus. And that doesn't mean everything's perfect and you've got all the answers and that you say a magical prayer and life becomes different as you walk out of this door. But what it does mean is that you're taking the first step saying, Jesus, I want to begin this relationship with you. I want to explore 
just what, it, what it's like to have you at the center of my life. And you just check that box. For you, I, I know just after talking to so many of you, this year has been incredibly difficult. You have felt more spiritually isolated from God maybe than a lot of years. And maybe today, this Easter is just a fresh chance to say, you know what, I'm just gonna recommit to that decision. I'm gonna recommit to that relationship. Just like there's some there's vow renewals. Maybe you've been a part of those. I've got to be a part of those. It's not that the marriage is bad. It's that you need to just redraw the line and say, I'm back in, I'm all in, I'm surrendered. Whatever that means, Jesus, you can have my all. I'm just recommitting to that today. Maybe for you, you've followed Jesus for a lot of years. Maybe it's only been a little while, but you know your next step is to be baptized. It's to identify with Jesus in that way of dying to your old self and coming alive in Christ and, and alive to the things he wants to do. And you know, that's my step. I've got to go for it. I got to be obedient there. I, I want to take the challenge. And one of our hopes is as we begin this new journey in this new space, is that one of the first Sundays, I don't know if it'll be the very first, but one of the first Sundays, we want to celebrate that with baptism. We want to just like celebrate and rejoice people who've made that step. And here's kind of the fourth camp of people. You may be in this camp and that's great. I'm so excited that you are with us. You may just say, actually, I have questions. I've got questions about Jesus. I'm not sure. And that's totally perfect. I'm, I'm so thankful because I have questions too. <laughs> there, there's things that are unresolved. There's, there's mysteries there. There's some doubts there. There's some things I'm working through but I know that Jesus is the center. He's, he's my Lord, my King, my Savior. And so I'm gonna let him steer that. And maybe you just need to say, I've got questions. I just wanna talk to somebody. I, I wanna sit down over a cup of coffee and just ask some of these questions. No question is off limits. Like if you are sitting here and you are skeptical, you're not sure about any of this, you are exactly the type of person Jesus came to love and to save and to, and to walk with. So thank you for entrusting us with your time. And maybe just check that and feel free. You can put name and email and that's just a way for us as your staff. We're not gonna distribute that to a thousand people or give it to the local credit union or whatever. Like nothing weird like that is going to happen. All we wanna do is encourage you with whatever step you know you need to take. That's it. Just say, we're cheering you on. We are praying for you. We wanna be here for you. And so what I wanna do, we're gonna close in worship here. I wanna give you just 30 seconds. 30 seconds to wrestle. Maybe you already know what that step is. Maybe it's something entirely different. Maybe you just wanna put your name and email and just have us reach out. I don't know if you just wanna talk or whatever it is and to give you a chance to respond before we end our time in worship. So take 30 seconds, just you and God. Do business with him, wrestle with this. And uh, we would love to pray for you as we do. Jesus, thank you for the powerful reminder of Easter that none of us 
is beyond the restoring and transforming work of your son. Thank you for resurrection. Thank you for hope. Thank you that we don't have to fix ourselves. We don't have to repair the brokenness alone. But you step in and say, hey, let me, let me take the tools. Let me show you the way. Let me show you how to hope and trust again. Let me show you how to have faith in something bigger than yourself. Let me show you how to live for more than your job. Thank you for the power of Easter. Thank you for what was lost in the garden, you restored in a garden. And I pray for my friends here, no matter what step is ours to take, that you are walking with us in this. You are encouraging us in this. You are inviting us like a loving father who misses his kids to just come back home. Thank you for the power of Easter. Thank you that you are resurrecting things in my life, Jesus. That you're restoring things, you're redeeming things. We pray that as we hold on to you, as we worship you, as we trust you with these steps, that you would give us the courage and the boldness to actually move, to take action, to pursue the life of freedom that you offer. We love you and pray in Jesus' name.